Hello and welcome to the Irwin Mitchell podcast, uh, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that hopefully matters to you. Uh, my name's James Laycock, I'll be hosting today. Joining us, we've got uh, Russell Howarth on the podcast. We're delighted to welcome you, Russell. Russell's a specialist family business consultant and runs the Family Business Partnership and also hosts the widely acclaimed Family Business Podcast, which I encourage you all to dip into for his insight and wisdom in the arena. We're also joined by uh, Sarah Payton, a lawyer from our tax, trust and estates team, and George Uglow, a financial planner here at um, Irwin Mitchell. I'm a lawyer, a rugby coach, and a huge supporter of family businesses around which much of my own work uh, revolves. I want to pick the brains of Russell and my colleagues today about their experiences with family businesses and the key challenges that those businesses face, particularly looking at the emotional and financial impacts of which I suspect many are experiencing uh, at the moment and have done over the last 18 months or so, generational issues as well, succession issues, and sort of family dynamics. It's really, really interesting area. It's uh, There's a lot to talk about. We've not got that much time on today, so I suspect we won't be able to get through all those pretty chunky issues. But um, let's see what we can do, and let's, uh, uh, let's see what insight we can each give one another. So thanks, everyone, for joining, joining me today. I might kickstart things then, if it's okay, with something that I see uh, now and then, which is all about the sort of structural documents in play in family businesses. And many businesses that I encounter, you know, they're looking at the day-to-day stresses of running the business. So they're looking at keeping those customers, you know, happy, servicing those customers. Where's the next order coming from? Making sure the staff are happy and dealing with all, all that that entails. And sometimes what you find then is that the sort of key documents in place uh, that, that you, you might want out of a council of perfection to be in place. So shareholders agreements, you know, up to date articles of association uh, that are fit for purpose, key man insurance policies and, you know, business interruption policies and the like. You sometimes find that um, if they're not in place, then, you know, maybe, maybe it would help for those to be in place. Um, you know, a, a good all singing, all dancing shareholders agreement, as it were. Or if they are in place, they've not been updated for years. And and I sometimes find totally understandably, you know, that that, that isn't necessarily the focus. And I don't know. I mean, it's really important for those to be there, I guess. But also perhaps one for you, Sarah, also for those to sort of dovetail with what the individual board members have got in place and that all the founders got in place in terms of, you know, his or her will and any sort of business LPAs. What have you seen in that? That's absolutely right, James. You'd be amazed how many clients come to me um, with the aim of updating their will and then seem really surprised when I say to them, okay, so you've mentioned this business. Is there a shareholders agreement? And if there is, when was it last looked at? And I find a lot of business owner clients tend to think about their business world and their personal world completely separately. And actually, our job as advisors is to bring those two worlds together and say to the client, look, I can absolutely advise on your will, but it is going to be useless if it says the opposite of what your shareholders agreement says. So we need to look at these two things together 
we need to make sure that both documents are up to date so that what you want to happen in the future can actually happen. That's particularly important around succession, as you mentioned with the wills, but absolutely business powers of attorney as well. And that is something that many clients um, haven't thought about. They may have got as far as having some personal powers of attorney in place, but it's not always appropriate for the people you would appoint to manage your own bank account and investments to be involved in the running of a business. And it's thinking through those people's uh, capabilities, their experience. And actually, again, what does the shareholders agreement say? Are there provisions in there that deal with incapacity? And how do these two documents interact? Yeah, I mean, it, it, sadly, from, from my perspective, uh, which is uh, dealing with the fallout of things that have gone wrong in family businesses, you know, I, I've seen far too often, really, position where, you know, there is a sudden passing, sudden un unexpected passing, and there's perhaps equality of shareholding, and there's no mechanism for then dealing with that. There's no shareholders agreement in place. And, you know, it's it, it's very difficult to see a, a, a family going through the trauma of a sudden grief and dealing with that, and then also then having to address and pick up the pieces of a, you know a business that has has been flying and doing really really well but then suddenly stall comes to a, comes to a dramatic stall and they think well okay how, how are we going to work through this because there are other owners here and they've got different maybe competing interests which aren't necessarily aligned with ours how we're going to deal with that and so I see it from that perspective and in some ways you know I wouldn't like to see it at all. I took myself out of the job, but um, it, it, it's those scenarios that we we sort of you know we we want to we want to avoid for family businesses. Uh, Ross, you, you will have seen it, I'm sure, and that's you 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 will have been dealing with these situations. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's it's worth recognising that what makes family businesses unique and I use the term collectively unique because it's present within all family businesses is that there are three separate but interdependent systems at play within a family business so you've got the ownership system and the business management system that you would have within a non-family business where somebody might own shares in the business but also work in it and they can be wearing two hats as a result of that but when you put a family system into the mix as well it creates an additional level of complexity and what families may be familiar with in terms of the sort of business um, governance documents that can be put in place like articles of association like shareholders agreements there are similar and equivalent documents that can be created on the family side that help to govern how the family interact with the business and a lot of times having those discussions is far more important than the actual documents themselves. So an example is a family charter, which amongst other things can set out the vision and the values that the family want to be demonstrated within the business. It can outline who can own shares in the family business. So should that be bloodline only, that kind of thing. They're not legally binding, but they're perhaps morally binding on the family to say, we've had these discussions and made these agreements. That can then be formalized in the form of a shareholders agreement or within articles of association but having that discussion beforehand avoids perhaps some of the um, issues and challenges that can result from an unexpected 
death. Um, I also think, I don't know whether Sarah sees this in her work, but a lot of people are reluctant to put wills and LPAs in place because they think it's tempting fate and that that's then going to happen. And my, my response to that is even if that's the case, it's still better to have those documents in place than not because of the mess that it can create. But there's a almost a reluctance because it's we're dealing with death, we're dealing with something that is not particularly pleasant uh, topic to to uh, think about. But I, I think what the um, pandemic has done is to brought, bring into focus these issues. And we mentioned about um, business power of attorneys and, and continuity plans that need to be looked at as a result of what's going on now. And that again, naturally results in those conversations around who can do what, who can own shares, how do we deal with this kind of situation again? Yeah, that, I mean, that, you're absolutely uh, spot on there. Uh, Russ, I was on a webinar yesterday, actually, and, and, and someone else, we were sort of talking around this issue, and someone else, you know, said that it's better to have in place something than nothing. And you, you, you might, you, you probably see it, Sarah, you don't, it's unlikely, isn't it, that you sort of get the whole Bible of core documents in place in one go. Not, not in my experience, you know, no business owner's got time to do that and and invest the time with a, a sort of, you know, us or a professional advisor to do that. So it's sort of knocking them off one by one, isn't it? Uh, and it's just sort of carving out that time in in the owner's diary to, to address those. But it really struck me yesterday, this person, when they said, you know, it's better to have something in place and nothing. And then you can you can address it. You can improve it. You can tweak it. You know, as you as you go along, and and, and Russ, you just um, you just touched on that family chartered things. Really interesting piece because you know that you're sort of addressing there, aren't you? The you know the next generation and their aspirations and and what they want, if if anything to do with the business, you know. And if they don't want anything to do with the business, then is some form of income going to be provided? Are they still going to have an interest, e even if it's not any form of sort of control or management? And I'm interested, Russ. Do you find that? the businesses buy into this sort of family charter thing as a as a bit of a precursor to a shareholders agreement i sort of like that i like that sort of segue into a shareholders agreement it, it, it feels natural that do you find that buy into that is it more of a discussion with the family around the table and saying right george what do you want to do sarah where where are, where are your thoughts and is it is it more more like that or do you get these charters quite regularly i think it's it's probably a combination of the two in in practice. And again, when you consider how old family businesses are uh, as a, a form of um, business and a form of, sort of legal entity to have family members that um, own shares in that, and then compare that to the sort of academic research that has happened into that ownership model. That only really started in the late 70s and early 80s. So we're still very young in looking at the potential challenges that come from the presence of these three systems. And as a result, there aren't a huge number of family businesses that are aware of the fact that a family charter is a thing. That There is also something um, a, a fellow family business advisor um, calls it sort of informal governance, the natural governance within a family is that a lot of the ways that people do things is okay to, to do it that way. Um, there's no sort of best practice to say that every family should have a family charter and 
you know, we, you can download one from the, the website and put your name on the top and everything's t- sort of tickety-boo yeah. because it has to be what's right for the family. But where it tends to come into a bit more focus is as the number of family members grow, the number of different opinions, a number of different sort of ideas of what life should look like um, and aspirations and hopes and fears that can be having those discussions, that increases. And managing that as a family yourself can be quite challenging. So some of this, the governance forums and governance structures that can be put in place are there to help you to do what it is that you want to do. Sometimes when you speak to a family and say, well, have you considered documenting some of this? Some of the uh, kickback that you receive potentially is I don't want this to become a break on my behaviour. And that's what it can often feel like. Whereas what we're actually doing is harnessing the power of your family and putting it into a, a more structured approach so that you can live the life you want to live rather than feel like you're being dictated by this these governance structures. Yeah, very interesting. Sarah, yeah, you, you want to uh, dive in on that? A- absolutely. Um, I just wanted to build on what Russell was saying there in um, both in terms of how uh, we found families approach the idea of a charter and I tend to find that there's one of two extremes. A lot of business owners feel that um, a charter is a little bit feely, uh, soft, um, and actually they're they're business owners. They know what they're doing. It's a corporate world. And then there are the other ones who are perhaps a smaller entity and really like that idea. One of the best ways I found of approaching it with them is um, this idea that, that Russell touched on as well about this kind of parental influence. So you've got the head of the family at the moment heading up the company, making sure everyone falls in line. That's great as long as that person's there. And where we see a lot of fallout is when that person has died or lost capacity. Suddenly that influence isn't there and you have members of the family pulling in different directions. So it can be easy at that point to say to this head of family, actually think about what do you want to happen if you aren't here? At least this document can be a record of what you wanted for the future and having those conversations with the family in advance, in theory anyway, should help reduce the risk of um, disputes and that pulling in different directions going forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 that 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 sort of conversation piece, you know, with with the with the next gen looking ahead into the future, saying, well, you know, times will not always be like this. You know, mum, dad, or whoever it may be, they're not always going to be around um, in in the business. So, you know, what are we what are we aiming for? And you know, who's going to take what role on if if there is interest in in doing that? And, and I guess that sort of that neatly goes into the sort of the succession piece, which is which is a hot topic, has been a hot topic for a long, long time. We're not we're not sort of introducing or, or going to talk about something here, which is revolutionary. I know that. But the fact that it has been a, around a long time and it is discussed pretty widely, I know, by you, Russ, and, and, and by many others, including including us in this arena, means that it is still hugely prevalent. And it's still hugely, you know, it's still a huge issue, isn't it, in in businesses about, okay, what does succession look like? And I and I guess over the last sort of 15, 15 or so months, there's been a perhaps a bit of a a shift in mindset in in some of 
those family businesses that we've encountered in in terms of right okay are, are we going to accelerate our plans here a little bit you know has my five ten year outlook does that now look like a five-year outlook and if so how am i going to achieve that and you know who's coming up to sort of take my place so russ have you seen those plans sort of be tweaked a bit as a result of obviously the the pandemic and you know all the challenges that we've all faced yeah and i think what the pandemic has done is it's kind of brought into focus all of our own mortality right so business owners and i'm a business owner so i suffer from this myself if you think you know you're immortal you, you've got enough things to worry about to not think about what's going to happen when um, the inevitable one day does happen but i think as well what we've seen is because we've all had that time to focus on the fact that this is has been a threat to our health it's also put into perspective what's really important to us in life and for some that has been that the business is really important and for for some that i've um, worked with the next generation have actually been drawn more towards the business as a result of this than they thought they had a much sort of deeper emotional attachment to the business than perhaps they would recognize prior to the pandemic because something has brought that under threat it's been a constant presence perhaps in their life and and not taken for, for granted that's probably the wrong phrase but that kind of thing where it's just always been there and therefore it's going to be a constant in my life to have that threatened can obviously stir some some emotions um, there I think what also we've seen and I touched on it a little bit before is the need for continuity planning and if you look at succession planning as part of that continuity plan for the business it reframes the language around those discussions because you're not looking at replacing one person who might be the you know chief exec or MD of that business it's not replacing his or her role it's now looking at how do we ensure this business continues if you take a step back from that and say well why should the business continue as a family you can then discuss what role that business plays in all of you living a fulfilled life whether that means owning the business whether that means working in the business whether it means those two combined or neither of those things and having those discussions again then helps shape the sort of structural side of what needs to happen so if you're talking about somebody who's a managing director and she has decided that actually this has made me realize that I want to stop working at 65 or 70, whatever the, the age may be. If that doesn't involve any ownership transition, you can then focus on what needs to happen to ensure there's no knowledge gaps. You can look at what needs to happen in terms of management structure. Do you need to bring in professional management in order to plug any of those gaps? Do you need to restructure your teams? How does that look in order to make that transition as smooth as possible? And then you can talk about the ownership transition at another time. I think all too often everything's lumped in together and it can be overwhelming and it can be intimidating because of that. But if you separate that all out, it starts to help you break down those conversations and put it through the lens of continuity and you start focusing on the different areas that need to happen. That's really interesting. What I picked up on there is leading a fulfilled life and what that means to different family members. That's a really interesting interesting point because of course you know fulfill life for somebody who's worked in the business from day one and they might have done it 30 or 40 years you know that fulfillment of getting up getting into work doing it making sure there's progress there's process you know that um that's their fulfillment 
somebody else's f- fulfillment might be well i've had nothing to do with the business but you know if i am a shareholder i want that dividend stream in order to do things outside the business so you're absolutely right there's just so many different uh interests that need to be looked at and catered for if if, if possible on the succession piece though i guess george you'll come into that won't you when you know the major shareholder or the business owner is is accelerating his or her plans and thinking do you know what actually i feel ready my time is sort of you know i, I want to do other things I, I feel as though the children or whoever it may be I feel as though they're ready i think we can continue this it might go in a slightly different direction i'm comfortable with that but you know my life's taking a different turn now and i want to bring it in play so you'll come into play i guess there george won't you you'll be wanting to have those discussions about okay well financially does that work for you and and, and how can we how can we you know how can we make that happen for you yeah, that's right, James. And I think, you know, there's a lot of important questions when it comes to retirement planning and exiting the business. First of all, uh, it's it's great to have a plan in place early, earlier the better, if possible. But sometimes that's that's easier said than done. So when you're thinking about, you know, retirement, when do you want to retire? First of all, you know, is it, is it an age? Do you want to complete stop or do you want to phase out and maybe hand the reins over to someone else? It could be that you still want to be involved in decision making as well but the, the most important factor is what what are you going to live off because how how's the retirement being funded because i think for many family businesses the business can act as a sort of pension so in that sense if the business is flourishing that could be absolutely fine but there is a risk of a lack of diversification in the sense of having all of your eggs in one basket because if you do need to retire or you want to retire immediately and it's a bad year, potentially, as we've, we're just coming, or we're in the middle of uh, a pandemic at the moment. Are you going to get the value uh, from the business that, that you might have got when we're not in, in the same economic environment? Equally, though, if you aren't selling the business and you're going to be reliant on a dividend stream as income, what happens if that income stops or reduces? What, what, how does that impact you in your retirement plans? Are you still able to have the same quality of life? So these are all considerations and things that, you know, by getting the plan in place early, we can have these conversations and maybe look at diversifying outside of the business to add a little bit more protection. So a great way to do that is things like pensions, pensions outside of the business, private pensions, use of ISAs, different investments to feed those ISAs. So you're building up a source of tax efficient income in the future and regular cash flow planning to, to make sure that you've got exactly what you need. But starting this early just gets those conversations going so that everyone's on the same page and you, you know where you are and you're in control of your retirement plans. Yeah, and, and that seems to me to be a sort of, um, it feels it feels like an almost combined approach, George, with you and with you, well, actually probably all three of you in fairness, you looking I guess, George, the sort of, you know, the, 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 that financial planning aspect. And as you say, you know, am I, I'm a reliance on the I'm not going to have anything to do with the business, but am I reliant on an income stream from it? Or, you know, is is, is my lifestyle beyond the business going to be funded outside it and, and, and from elsewhere? But but I guess you, Ross, from your perspective, you know, how, how emotionally does that sit with the person who is planning, you know, on retiring? Because 
you know, we all too often we, we see that sort of tension of, you know, is it, is it a clean break? So do I wake up the next morning and I'm not going into work? And I sort of, you know, I hold my head in my hands and think that's been my baby for 40 years. What, what on earth are they going to do with it? And or is it, you know, OK, I'll take the sort of chairperson role and I'll, you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll sit back from it. But do they sit back? Do they really sit back? You know, and, and how does that sort of then interplay with, OK, the new MD, so son, daughter, whoever it may be in place, wants to take it in a slightly different direction, has had these plans building up for three or four years, anticipating their succession. But yeah, I've still got this chairperson in the background who's still turning up at meetings. What's going on? Yeah. Um, one of the sort of more common areas, particularly linked to succession and, and retirement of perhaps the senior generation, is something called the sticky baton syndrome. <laughs> where you're passing the baton over but you're you're not really letting go and you're dragging someone along behind you and that can be very common it can also be very damaging not not just to the business but also to the relationships there because what has been potentially a productive working relationship with you know almost a master and apprentice type relationship if the next generation are feeling that they're able to step in and make their own mark and have their own time as the steward of this business and the previous incumbent in that role is uh, one of the families I worked with phrased it as he likes to walk around and drop the occasional grenade and then sit back and watch. <laughs> and it cuts, and that happens. That's the family dynamic that is present within family businesses that families need to to live with. That's part of the the beauty and joy of working with your family is those dynamics. It might not feel like it at the time, particularly in that scenario. But the, there's other elements at play as well. So a lot of the focus around that succession is on that transition for, for positioning the next gen to be in the best possible position to take over that role. What can often be forgotten is that there's an enormous sense of emotional well-being that comes from the role that the senior gen are playing and they are being asked or in some cases not forcibly removed but encouraged shall we say to leave that behind. And that leaves a gap in people's lives. And if your sense of purpose, your sense of identity is tied in with your role within the business, it's such an important element of succession planning is to focus on what, let me understand what it is that I get from the business from an emotional perspective and how can that be either retained or replicated elsewhere? So can I volunteer? Can I get involved in philanthropic activities? Can I become a mentor at a local business school? So I get the buzz of being involved in something, but actually I'm also moving out the way to allow the next gen to come into it. One of the other ways to perhaps frame uh, the retirement question is not just to look at when I want to retire, but also when do I want to move out the way for my next gen to have a, a really good shot at this. You look at the royal family as an example, Prince Charles is a next gen and he's in his 70s. And so do you want to be in that situation where there's no opportunity for them to have their own say and their own spark? And then perhaps put yourself in their shoes of how you would feel if that was you coming through the business. And it may be that this is the second or third or fourth time there's been a succession. And each time you can take the lessons from the previous time. Um, one final point on that, and I think it links um, really well with what um, George said, is that there's an element of um, financial independence that's needed from the business. So you need to be able to afford to retire and not rely necessarily on the business. But that also goes for the emotional in, uh, independence as well. 
So I used to work in that area and the amount of times that you would work with someone and go, well, you can afford to retire. That's not that's no reason not to. And almost their faces dropped rather than cheered up because they thought, oh, well, it's a good excuse because I can't afford it. But actually, the emotional intelligence goes alongside, uh, sorry, the emotional independence goes alongside the financial independence and the structural stuff that needs to happen around that too. Yeah, Sarah, sorry. Uh, um, thanks, Ross. Sarah, you were, you, were, you were diving to desperate to get in there. And I'm sorry, I, I should have come to you earlier. Apologies. Not at all. I actually want to pick up on what both Russell and George were saying um, about this idea of planning ahead. And it can never be too early to start thinking about that. And that is both from a financial perspective, but absolutely, Russell, from the emotional side. Because until you start having those conversations, I'm not sure you really address those feelings. You, you think through um, the consequences of that succession planning, that retirement. Certainly on the financial side, something that we've seen uh, with a number of, of clients is that they have that conversation with an advisor and they realise that, oh, I could retire at this age. And yes, for some, that's great news. And for others, they, they panic and think, I'm not ready yet. It almost doesn't matter. The important thing is that they've got that information and they are then able to think, OK, that's when I could. When am I going to be ready? And actually, what else do I need to do between now and then, either to make sure that the rest of the team are ready to take over? Or certainly within my sphere of advice, um, from a tax perspective, uh, what do they need to do to make the most of any tax allowances? Business owners spend their whole career thinking about um, business taxes. And generally speaking, I find very few have thought about what's going to happen on their death. And actually, what is the tax position then? And is that going to cause a problem either for the business or the family? And there is so much that they can do, but we need to have time to work with people like Russell and George to make sure that they can put structures in place. They can look at whether it's gifting, um, use of trusts, uh, can they use what was entrepreneurs relief, now business asset relief, can they make the most of that? There are so many options, but when you get the business owner who comes to you saying, I've just accepted a, an offer to sell my business, you think, no, like there, there was so much we could do. And actually now our options are really limited. So I just, I really wanted to pick up on that point and, and urge people, the sooner you have those conversations, the better. It does not mean you are about to sell or retire. It's all about getting that information to line up uh, the future. I think, yeah, and that's such a critical point, isn't it? Because I, I guess many look at it from the perspective of, I've got to get the business to a stage where I'm happy with it. I'm happy either I'm going to sell it or it's I'm, I'm you know I'm transferring shares. And and as you say, that's in many respects it's sort of almost too late for 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 you, Sarah, for you, George. Um, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much sort of financial magic you can weave in order to sort of um, uh, you know help them with that. I, I just wanted to sort of pick up on the financial independence point because I think that 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 also is that 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 tails in with the sort of emotional bit as well as you've pointed out, um, Russ. You know, I get I guess being dependent to a certain extent on you know an income stream from from the business where 
you know, you've for all intents and purposes left it operationally. You know, you're, you're having no input into board decisions. You're having no input into management day to day. Um, but but you're then dependent on that sort of financial income stream. There can come those pinch points, can't there? Those those difficult points where, for whatever reason, you know that 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 dividend's not declared, or it's 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 the the, the business has put a hold on it. It's just reallocating resource, whatever it may be. So there's a bit of a there's a hiatus in dividend flow, and 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 that can uh, you know that can lead to tension, can't it? It can lead to a build-up of those emotions. Well, hang about what's happening. Why, why is the tap being turned off? Uh, and then it's well, you know, we're, we're having to do this because we're reallocating, we're refocusing, or whatever it may be. Uh, and those sort of strains, you know, you want to you want to do your best, I guess, to avoid in the future because, as you say, they can, you know, they can have a they can have a big impact on the relationship. Absolutely. And if you look at again the situation that we're facing at the moment with regards to the difficulties that have been experienced over the last 18 months or so. And I know there would be some businesses where they've never been busier and, you know, everything's going well from a financial perspective for them. So we're not saying this is across the board. But if a business has faced a difficult period and that has impacted the ability to pay a dividend, if you've got family members that are working in the business and they're being paid a salary because they're performing a role, and then you've got an owner who is in the family but sits outside the business and they're being told to take a pay cut because the business hasn't performed so well yet they have no direct influence over how that's going to be turned around that can also encourage the interference for want of a better phrase of Mm -hmm. well actually i need to get back involved here because now it's directly impacting me because of my dividend stream there's the additional argument even when things are going really well is do the family redirect uh, profit into the business to help grow it? Or does that dividend stream need to be maintained in order to have that lifestyle that the person wants? And where that conflicts, there can be tensions and there can be some interesting discussions. And again, going back to not just banging the drum for a, a family charter, but all of this can be discussed in those kind of discussions before they become an issue. So it's almost like a a lifeboat drill, a practice run. What do we do if this happens? How do we want this? How do we want to act as a family if there is conflict within the business? How do we want to act in terms of our role in the community? So there's lots to be said for philanthropy, um, but but also if that means that you're, you know, you're not paying your staff a living wage or not paying them a, a sufficient salary for what they're doing, the philanthropic exercises are a bit sort of surplus to requirements almost because you're not doing it within your, your own business. So there's lots and lots of things that as a family you control and have influence over that you can discuss and agree upon. And it takes the emotion out of some of it for, for future um, experiences. Prime example is if Bloodline only could own shares in the business, you know a prenup is going to need to be um, sorted out. Well, rather than you know going down on one knee and saying, will you marry me by the way, sign here, you can kind of say, look, there's we've got a family charter. It governs how we operate the and interact with the business. That requires us, if we do get married, for, for you to sign a prenup. You're sort of moving, shifting the blame away from you individually onto this sort of document, which, which works. It takes that kind of personal yeah. side um, away of, uh, I do trust you and want to spend the rest of my life with you, but yeah. Yeah. sign you can here. Sort of say, 
yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, it's not my decision. You know, it's 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 the it's the wider family's decision that's governed uh, that's governed this. Yeah, and no, I like that. I like that. And I, and I guess that sort of the the next gen sort of coming through, they might have a different they might have a different purpose. They might have a different idea of what they want to achieve. And I I, I sometimes wonder you know whether you sort of explore that russ and whether you see that whether there is a defined purpose there is a strategy we are doing this for a reason whatever that may be we're doing it because in 10 years we're all out and we'll all hopefully then be set up uh, or we're doing this because we want a legacy and i want this to go to the next generation and i i want this family name in this business to continue or we're doing this to it's a lifestyle or we're doing it to further our philanthropic ambitions and our and our work in the community and do you do you sometimes see that the businesses are rightly so focused on the day-to-day function and operation that sometimes the you know we don't always we don't always stick our head above the parapet and say well, actually why are we doing this why do why do we have all this stress what is the purpose behind this i mean I, do you, you know, do, do, do you have those discussions as well? I guess you yes. do, you must. Yeah, I do. Um, what, one of the questions that I ask when I start working with a family it is a pretty straightforward question, but it can often lead to some sort of confused looks of, so the question is, why are you in business together? And then sometimes the response is, well, do you not think we should be? And I'm, sort of, I'm not here to judge. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. I'm here to find out why you're doing this. And if you don't know why you're doing it, when things get tough, it can be really hard to stay focused on why you're doing something. So gaining that clarity as a family as to what purpose the business plays, what purpose it plays to each individual, what it does in terms of the family as a whole, and then the broader community. If you have clarity on those things, it makes running the business easier because you've got a focus point. You know what it's there to deliver. It helps people within the family to decide, do I want to work in this business? Do I have entitlement to own this business? What role can it play in my life? Again, I think there is a, um, a kind of a focus on it's all or nothing. So if I work, if I own the business, I have to work in it. You can be a responsible owner of the business and contribute to it and take the rewards of dividend payments without actually having to work in the business and go and follow your own dream. Can profits or wealth that's been created by the family be used to create other businesses for family members to explore their own um, passions and uh, aspirations within? You don't have to be confined by this legal construct called a business. It can be going from family business to business family and creating an enterprise and creating lots of different businesses that are under one umbrella or funding it for somebody to create a startup. But having a very clear idea of A, what you want to get out of life. It's not a rehearsal. We can't come back next time and go, tried that, didn't like it. I need to go and do something different. So having that conversation can be difficult, but having it creates that clarity, which means hopefully everything falls out from there, meaning you get the right legal structures in place, you get the right financial plans in place, you avoid the sort of um, trauma of conflict and perhaps falling out with family members because you've got that clarity. 
I am making it sound as if that's the panacea and that it's, it's really easy to get to. It's difficult. It's emotional conversations. It's soul searching. It's a lot of self-awareness needed in order to get there. But the process of doing so helps to create this clarity, which I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And it just starts with that. I guess it starts with that simple question. Why? Why are we doing this? Um, you know, what, what, what is what is our purpose? We're probably going to wrap up fairly shortly i think but there is something that we we i think probably all three of us or four of us sorry can't count have have touched on really briefly and that's a philanthropy and sort of gift giving and it, and it, and it dovetails with what you were saying there russell about you know a business of families are there is there another adjunct to this and i want to use that to further my philanthropic work and interest and and i guess george that's probably some an area that you probably, you know, you, you you get involved in as well, advising about, you know, how they can structure that um, efficiently. Yeah, that's right, James. And I think, you know, family businesses are well placed to, to be able to do that um, in some cases. And I think over the years, we have seen a big increase in sort of ethical considerations around around gifting as well, but not just when gifting, but also investing. So, you know, actively avoiding companies that don't have uh, an honourable or sustainable cause. But looking at gifting, I think it comes down to you know, the individual, what their values and beliefs are, what causes do they want to support? And I think it's understanding a few things. One of those things is, you know, is it the right time, first of all? You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic at, at the moment. Is it the right time to be making substantial gifts? If it is the right time, is everyone in agreement? Are, are the decision makers in, in agreement with with the gift and then also what level of gift. So what what amounts are we looking at? And that can be established through, you know, the use of cash flow analysis and, and accountancy as well to, to look at what level of gift can be made. But once that's been established and we've we know what cause we're looking to support, I like to think that there should be some boundaries in place as well and try and get an idea of what success might look like. So is there a particular outcome? That, that they're looking for and in terms of the boundaries I'm talking about once you've sort of set your level and you've agreed what you're looking to do sticking to those boundaries because it's always you know that th there's always a tendency to to do more um and you've always got <laughs> from, from my point of view we're always got to look on the the pessimistic side in a way just to make sure that you know the business can continue retirement plans can continue but um gifting you know very very positive I think we've seen a big increase in in ethical considerations around gifting, and I think that will just continue into the future. To be honest, yeah, absolutely. Businesses setting up their own foundations and uh, and the like. Yeah, well, look, George, you said sticking to boundaries, and that probably has reminded me that we should probably stick to our stick to our hour here. And all, all that really remains for me to do is look to to to, to thank all three of you, um, Sarah, George, and, and and Russell. Thanks very much indeed for your insights, your help, your assistance, um, and your you know your your combined experience. Um, I found it really interesting. Um, you know, I come from a family business, um, and it, it, I, I I see family businesses. I work with family businesses, and you know, I find it a really really interesting area, and it's made interesting by the people in it. Not 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 always the business. Obviously, they will find their own business really interesting, but for for me at least. It, it tends to be the people involved that 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 provides the real 
the real challenge and the and the real interest in the work that we do. So look, thanks, thanks all very much. Um, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Irwin Mitchell podcast. If you did find it interesting, then then please do join us for our next uh, episodes. And in the meantime, please do go and enjoy that sunshine. Thanks.